All right, guys, welcome to the debrief. These are David and Mai's unfiltered thoughts, unofficial thoughts, off stream, available for you, premium podcast listeners. David, a rejection from the high priest. Eric <laughs> Wall was feeling that. Uh, I know you could kind of identify with that. I don't know. Mm -hmm. That was just an interesting through line for me because, like, people are often like, hey, why don't you have some uh, thoughtful Bitcoiners on the show? And I'm like, we'd love to. Yeah. Who? Like, who are Ooh, they? Give us some names. And then they often Nick say Carter? the same people. We did that. Nick Carter. Uh, four times, we five did, times. We did that. Yeah. Uh, twice uh -huh. already. Uh -huh. Like we try to have all of the thoughtful Bitcoiners on the show. Eric Wall is one person who I'd put in that camp who hasn't come on. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, he's definitely a thoughtful Bitcoiner. Good mm -hmm. discussion. But this like feeling of rejection, excommunication from the church that is Bitcoin. Wow. That's kind of wild, right? Yeah, he said the word heartbroken two or three times. Uh, it, it, while Got a little Oprah. A brief, yeah, it, for a brief moment, it found it felt like a little bit like therapy, where like Eric Wall <laughs> yeah. was like, like, dude, I, felt they, it, like, I I was there with, and I was contributing to Bitcoin, and I like you know believed in it with all my heart, and then I said this one thing about how like you know whatever about Ethereum, and then all of a sudden they called me a shitcoiner, and like I'm not part of the community anymore, and that like, sucks. Uh, it, that does suck because especially in crypto, like crypto is very social uh, and it's very much a, like a, a social revolution. Social, Us social against phenomenon. the world. Right. And so like when you get like ex quote unquote excommunicated by your bros, like that hurts. But like, it's also that, like, I thought we were here for this reason, which is right. decentralization. Mm -hmm. And it turns out you don't care as much about decentralization right. as you said you did. Mm -hmm. And it also turns out that everything I've done for this community in this space is nullified because I disagree right. with you on these points. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. that's kind of painful. I, you know, I right. felt that. Yeah. And uh, Christian in POV Crypto, and, and also I saw this, uh, this line come out from NLW on his podcast where Bitcoin is very much a no heroes ecosystem, as in like, it doesn't matter, like Michael Saylor, He's not like, he say, I, we, I call him Saint Sailor because it's, it's kind of a joke because it's, you know, Bitcoin is a religion. But like as soon as if if Michael Saylor says any name of any crypto asset that's not Bitcoin, he's going to be thrown to the streets, too. It doesn't matter say, who you are. Well, they do have they have heroes for the moment. But I guess I would say, like, it feels like everyone's disposable, though. Right. Everyone is disposable. He, heroes right. are mm -hmm. for the moment. But if you go against like right. you're you're canon, gone. you're gone. You're mm -hmm. dead to us. Bye bye. Right. Like. Nick Carter, who also also Saint Nick Carter, who's fighting the hardest fight ever of like the energy debate for Bitcoin, <laughs> yes. one day said that he thought that the halving was priced in, and all the Bitcoiners were like, "You asshole!" Like, no, nah. I was like, <laughs> How could "Really? You? Like that's the thing that you're gonna get upset about? Is that the fact that Nick Carter thought that the halving was priced in? Like that's what you really? Or that's where you're gonna fight that fight? Okay." Yeah, it, it, it is. Um, I, I think we said this before, like Bitcoin maximalism at, at some level is like Bitcoin strength, but it's also its fatal flaw, mm -hmm. right? Like, because mm -hmm. what you can do is you start to push away the thoughtful intellectual people who are just trying to improve the system, right? Um, if you say something that, that's out of line and there's an impact to the culture over time, if you, mm -hmm. if you continue down that path. You know, what's interesting too is like, Eric has definitely come around to Ethereum, right? But he stopped short of calling Ether sound money. And mm -hmm. I know we've had this recurring discussion uh, most, most recently, I think in our Vitalik episode where we talked about the legitimacy of Ether and like what 
Bitcoiners say about Ethereum's monetary policy. And I think we like pinpointed, even that episode with Vitalik, the things that, uh, Eric, I, we wanted to ask a Bitcoiner about Ethereum's monetary policy. And the things that he said were, no, it cannot be sound money because it has a, a, a monetary policy that has changed mm-hmm. and will change again in the future. Down, up, doesn't matter. Even if it's down, right. doesn't matter. The fact that it changes makes it not mm-hmm. sound money. Does not have the proof of work immaculate conception mm-hmm. that Bitcoin had. Um, does not have a pseudo-anonymous founder, Satoshi, right. and all of these things contribute to Bitcoin having a stronger sound money brand. When I hear that, I'm like, okay, but the things that you just said just defined what Bitcoin is, and nothing else can have that. It's almost like a truism, right? Like, mm-hmm. okay, sound money equals Bitcoin then? That's right. the only mm-hmm. cryptocurrency that can be sound money? Right. Like, it just seems like such a logical fallacy uh, to me versus having a much broader definition of right. what sound money is, which is just like Justin Drake. Like when we asked him what is sound money, it's money that like preserves- it Retains its energy, right? Retains, retains its, its energy into the future. And mm-hmm. you have reasonable assurances that like the unit will not inflate into the mm-hmm. future in some mm-hmm. way that's undesirable. But right. Bitcoiners tend to define sound money as like Bitcoin. Right. Dude, I, I, I went through the same same process when I did uh, POV crypto with Dan Held. I was like, okay, Dan, like <laughs> if, if we're ugh, Dan Held, uh, if we're what, what, what kind of crypto asset, if it's not Bitcoin and say, say you can't pick Bitcoin and you have to pick something, what's your criteria? And he goes, well, it has to be proof of work. There has to be a hard cap. Uh, there has to be like some sort start of like, with the fee. It has to, <laughs> we'll, we'll get that's the last part. Like, well, it has to be some sort of like, you know, fair launch event, you know, where, where like, you know, some blow up immaculate conception. I'm like, he just, you're, again, you're just describing what Bitcoin is. And right. to, to some degree, I'll, I'll give uh, Eric Wall a little bit of, you know, more, more credit where it's more about the tamper, the tampering of, of Ethereum's monetary policy, I think that is really the disqualifying feature of sound money. And also that's that's also what I hear out of CK, out of POV crypto. It's not about how it's not Bitcoin, it's how be- that there is tampering going on. And to some degree, like the immaculate conception is an anti-tamper mechanism. Uh, the fact that Satoshi didn't dump any of his coins is an anti-tamper mechanism. And so that's really the through line that I think that Eric is articulating. It's more about like tamper resistant is what sound money is. Whereas in what we've been using in the Ethereum world as ultrasound money is much more in the lines of your money is preserved, right? And no no longer is it preserved, but it actually is coded also, to go up in thing. price over time. Here's the thing. Even if you take that broad definition of, of tamper resistant, mm-hmm. I would say uh, Ethereum's monetary policy is highly tamper resistant to increases, not to decreases, yes. but yes. like go ch- go try to increase... Ethereum's right. monetary policy right now. Right. Like, go try to issue more ETH mm-hmm. right now. Like, yeah, right. Tamper, tamper resistant at, but then there's a big asterisk. I'll put my Bitcoiner cap on. It's, it's tamper resistant only at the social level. And Bitcoiners are like, fuck the social level. I want tampers, tamper resistance at the code level. I, t- I, t- I totally understand. But what, like, the retort is always like, well, but it's social layer all the way down. It's right. legitimacy all the way down, right? Mm-hmm. And like, there may come a time when the Bitcoiners have also uh, painted themselves in a corner where they actually really want to, to change that tamper-resistant issuance policy to generate more security in the network. 
and uh, they're not able to. So they just have to go like buy transaction fees. And we, we've talked mm-hmm. about how that ends. It's, it's right. super interesting to me. The other, other dimension, not to recall another Vitalik podcast, but like I'm going to because he's an anthropologist and like studies right. these communities in depth. Mm-hmm. Remember that episode we did on uh, concave versus convex thinking, mm-hmm. right? And like, mm-hmm. wh- which, which is more the Bitcoiner side? Is that concave or convex? Oh, that is convex. It's the more binary thinking. It's the binary thinking. Yeah. It's the, mm-hmm. the binary thinking side of things. And um, versus like Ethereum thinking, which is a bit more like there are there are local uh, maximas and it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be this or that. It can be like just a local maxima. Um, that, that came across into in when we asked the question of like, hey, uh, Eric, what criticisms do you have of the ethereum community and ethereans and he like he was very much like well you have to be able to um check validate the supply of an asset with any third parties and the fact that vitalik's first response was oh go check on etherscan Mm -hmm. like is a terrible response to somebody who is very much of like the more binary mm-hmm. thinking mindset, right? Like wanting these shelling points to be like, so I think Vit- when Vitalik says, go check Etherscan, he's like, oh, hey, here's a third party that is validating Ethereum supply and keeping us honest. There are all of these other third parties that do that as well. Mm-hmm. Plus there are individuals who can do that, right? Right. And for someone like Eric, that's the wrong answer. For someone like Eric, it's the wrong answer to uh, not be able to, like sync a node, an archival mm-hmm. node, like from 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 Genesis, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas like the Ethereum community is more okay with compromises that they feel like don't matter substantively. Mm-hmm. Makes sense, right? So here's where my my mind went to when Vitalik said, "Just go check Etherscan." He didn't just mean go check Etherscan. What he meant was something very much deeper than that. He meant that Etherscan by default defaults to the right number. Because if it's the wrong number, it's because Ethereum went through a hard fork. And so the only way that Etherscan is reporting the wrong number is if literally their front end UI is the wrong number for some weird reason, which that's a different conversation. But if, if like everyone is checking, like everyone is looking at the different Ether supply and maybe they're coming out to very small differences because like people are just like lagging behind on a couple blocks or, or not. But really why you can trust third parties is because if they if they are wrong about the ether supply it means that ethereum hard forked somewhere and changed the code and so that's why we don't know the supply the reason why we can just go to some third party is because of the assurances that running the ethereum protocol provides and that goes back to that goes back right to the node issue right where you know ethereum where eric wall has been like the the progress of ethereum has been to moving the goalposts of running nodes where you are actually verifying less and less and less well you know what you know why we can do that is because we're using cryptography to actually prune off the state because we are have cryptographic assurances that the verification is there regardless. And so it's actually an efficiency conversation. The nodes are actually getting smaller in size because we are verifying less because we have more cryptographic compression in what we are actually verifying. And so that's what I never really understand. It's stood Bitcoiners approach to that. It's like, yes, we are verifying less, yet we have the same assurances regardless, thanks to the power of cryptography. That's the whole point about scaling via just cryptographic assurances. And so it, 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 that, that I've never made that. That's never made sense to me. 
it's kind of back to like the best shelling point is is kind of zero, right? For for Bitcoiners, the best shelling point for having a sound money is a fixed cap, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. that's just easiest, right? Because mm-hmm. if you adjust it once, right. well, slippery slope, you might adjust it again and there might come a time where you then adjust it up. I, I felt like the... Um, the node discussion as well is is kind of similar. Well, like David, if you're going to just like only validate pieces of the state, over mm-hmm. time, all of that could centralize and you get to a place where you right. don't have individuals who are able to actually sync uh, a full node from scratch, right? And then you lose the decentralization of the entire system. And mm-hmm. Eric's saying, I'm worried that Ethereum we'll move in that direction. It's like the slippery slope. So we have to stop with like, you know, small block sizes, right? Right. Like Mm -hmm. that's kind of the, this is why it's just like very much, I think people are drawn to one ideology or the other, Mm -hmm. right? Like given their personality, given their life experiences, uh, almost naturally at it, you know, I, (laughs) I don't know. It's people have, people have dispositions. They have dispositions. And that, that's and that's really was the through line of the our, our, uh, the episode was like what is Eric Wall's disposition? There was something that uh, he said about um, proof of stake that I think could have been a, a whole entire rabbit hole, but we just didn't have enough time. Where um, he talks about if there are all, all of these like Ethereum bulls that are staking and basically staking for free because they are so bullish on Ethereum that they're so ready to take lesser and lesser Ether rewards because it doesn't matter because the only thing that they care about is Ether. You might be talking to two people. Uh, you might be listening to two people who are who are of this disposition right now. Um, and but what he said is that when all these ether bulls pull ether away from the supply, you are actually creating. You're actually leaving value in the rest of the world, right? And so say there's a there say there's like a hundred thousand ether out there, and all the ether bulls take fifty thousand ether off the secondary market and and uh, put it into staking. Well, there's 50% of Ether gone. And so there's only 50% of Ether left on the market. But the US dollar value, or really what he's talking about is the value that that remaining Ether can purchase in goods and services actually stays the same or or in theory doubles because of all the, the pulled away supply. And so the value that's left in the circulating supply actually stays the same while some of the value has been put into, into staking, right? Does that make sense? Uh, are you following me so far? I think so. Are, like, is that a good thing or a bad thing? That's a good thing, right? And so th- I wrote about the same concept in my Ether is Equity article where MakerDAO, you know, Compound, Aave, Uniswap, they pull Ether away from the secondary markets to put in their applications, but they are making Ether more scarce and therefore returning value back into the world, back into the circulating supply of Ether. And this is why this is basically the reservation demand for Ether inside of DeFi, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so what Eric Wall was talking about is like, you know, proof of stake works because, you know, you are actually leaving so much value out in the secondary markets. And so number go up, Ether number go up because of the reservation and demand of Ether stakers. Ether comes away from the secondary market, but the dollar value values of the uh, of the remaining ether on the secondary market stays the same uh and so we can talk about it's kind of a free lunch it's almost like a free lunch you're getting right yeah well to, to some degree like it's just a matter of just like 
you pull off ether off of the secondary market the number of ether on the secondary market reduces but the dollar value on the secondary market or what you can purchase with goods and services on the secondary market stays the same and that's basically what we are saying is ether price go up reservation demand of ether for staking but there's the same exact phenomenon that eric was talking about in the podcast it's also true for every single DeFi app right hmm. uh, and we were talking about these organisms that are DeFi apps which are fundamentally built to consume economic resources in the form of ether and other DeFi tokens, and then output some new aggregate output, either in the form of another token like DAI, if it's MakerDAO, or something else. And all of these DeFi apps are in this massive crucible of competition to be as efficient as possible, consume the least amount of resources as possible, produce the most, most amount of value as possible, and that's what makes them alive DeFi apps. And so this massive crucible of competition is trying to consume as much Ether as possible while returning more, more and more value into the world. And so as a result of this efficiency, there's just an insane amount of capital lockup specifically in Ether, the asset, because Ether, the asset is the thing that receives the most amount of benefit, tailwind benefit of that capital efficiency competition in DeFi, which feeds back into staking as well, because it's all the same Ether, right? Uh, and so it's all about- It's a nice it, reflexive it, feedback loop. Right. It's all about how much ether can we consume while returning value back into the rest of the world so that people can use that value to facilitate goods and services. Um, that's a whole like rabbit hole in of itself. And, you know, Eric, Eric went down and uh, down that hole and articulated it in proof of stake, but I think he was missing this, or we, we didn't even really talk about it, but he was missing about how it's also true with every single DeFi app. Yeah, well, yeah. What's what's interesting is like some of his ideas. I I feel like um, we've actually built on. I mean, he wrote that mm -hmm. proof of stake article mm -hmm. in 2019, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and we've seen this play out in in DeFi next, which is super interesting. I I I, I was trying to think to myself like post episode. He's one of the few Bitcoiners who've gone down this very narrow path, like that few go down of uh, converting into more of an Ethereum right? Actually selling mm -hmm. some Bitcoin for Ether. Uh, and I was trying to wrap my head around why he did it because he didn't do it, I don't think, uh, for some of the reasons Hasu did. Um, like he doesn't right. think that Ether is a more sound money than Bitcoin. Right. He thinks Bitcoin has already kind of won that battle. But there were two other reasons he did it. The, the one I was hearing was DeFi, open mm -hmm. permissionless money system, seeing the potential for an internet of money and uh, everything that could be built on top of Ethereum. That was re Ethereum. That was reason one. I'll, I'll articulate that as better surface area for decentralization. Right. Yeah. Um, the second reason was actually like scalability tech. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Super interesting, right? So mm -hmm. also kind of the same thing. It kind of like it's surface area for better scalability tech improvements, better decentralized scalability tech. Yeah. Cryptographic magic, right? Like mm -hmm. moon math from our Justin Drake episode, basically uh, surface area for moon math. And it's, it's, it's long been the case that Bitcoin has had like one silver bullet for non-custodial scalability. And that is the lightning network. Right. Right. Which is boo -boo. And like he did, a deep dive on lightning. And it was like, yeah, there's some things that are good about it, mm -hmm. but it has all of these flaws. And look, here's this cool tech called right. rollups, ZK rollups, optimistic rollups on Ethereum. Mm -hmm. Use some cryptographic magic, some crypto economic assumptions per, again, the moon math, Justin Drake episode. And it's really cool scalability tech. And hey, mm -hmm. Bitcoin, you should adopt it because it's actually like 
a better tech improvement. Viable tech, right. Right. This like is coming if, coming from a guy who really, really, really wanted Lightning Network to work. Yeah. Like he didn't and, have the bias. Exactly. And it's interesting because uh, Ethereum has Lightning Network type capabilities, right? State channels. We don't. Yeah, it's we don't use them. Never taken off. <laughs> Not bad. in a big way, <laughs> right? And so, like, um, he was kind of like, "Hey, that path's dead. Here's Ethereum. Bring this other path. Why don't we bring that to Bitcoin?" And mm-hmm. it was just met with like, "No, no you, nope. you, we don't do that here." Kind of thing. Well, right? he, well, he said that even Greg Maxwell talked about like zk proofs, which ultimately was the technology that led into rollups. And Greg Maxwell was like, "Yeah, even I thought about that. I thought about that first. And, and yeah. then what he was so <laughs> but, frustrated is like, "Congratulations, you thought about it first. Ethereum implemented it first, and Bitcoin is still whatever it is. And right. you're and you're trying to be ta- tribal about it." Yeah, I- exactly. And. Mm-hmm. It, it's just interesting that it was those two reasons. It wasn't even yeah. sound money. It was just like right. DeFi it was more and computer science. scalability. It was computer science reasons. A bit more, right? Mm-hmm. A bit more of that. And then it's just seeing kind of the permissionless innovation going. So internet mm-hmm. of money. Anyway, really cool episode. Um, I like I like Eric. I feel like, you know, our first... Uh, what, what do you think that about that disagreement that he brought up at the beginning? Is that oh, yeah, just like entirely, semantics? Entirely semantics. Entirely That's what semantics. I, I thought it was semantics yeah. the entire time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I, but it sounds like you got to go redo that that chart though. All you have to do is move move where you put <laughs> trustlessness into the center, and then put trusted on the other side, pointing in the other direction. And it sounds like we're good to go. <laughs> it's funny because I remember like a year a year and a half ago when they had this mm-hmm. big like Twitter debate. I was like, okay, Eric, redraw the chart for me, mm-hmm. and uh, it, we're just stuck. It was just that like was it. stalemate. Yeah. Hmm. Well, that's maybe that's more evidence is Twitter is perhaps not the best battleground. I don't think so. I think you've got to no. switch it up. A little podcast magic. So mm-hmm. that's good. All right, David, anything else, man? Nothing for me, sir. Guys, that was the debrief. Thanks for hanging with us.